junior high. I paid attention. I never got it. I never really got that whole access thing with shadows and tilting and spinning while it's going, and I just don't get it. That's why we have the seasons. I still don't and understand why. And that's why the days get longer. Yeah. I mean... I can understand that enough to parrot it back, but not really to deeply understand it. I still don't understand why Australians are not walking on their heads. Or Chinese. Why aren't the Chinese upside down? I really don't gravity. know. Yeah. Pull of gra- but the gravity, the gravity would be pulling their shoes, but they would still be upside down. If oh. we're on top, because America's always there is on, still top. on top. Well. <laughs> don't well, you someone had to <laughs> No, there's no top, there's no bottom of the earth. <laughs> so, so what, they both do it side to side? Or we stand. We stand. Yes, I know. But if, how can there not be a top and a bottom, even if it's on an axis? There's, there is something up and then something facing down, even if it's a spherical ball. It's like magnets. Gravity is like magnets. Yeah. We are all attached by the, our little foot magnets to the earth. <laughs> I like that little foot magnet. No, but I can. I have a magnetic ball, and I'm, no, I'm not making a. Let's say I have a magnetic ball and a couple of iron filings. I can put one iron filing on top, and one iron filing underneath, and they'll both stick to it, right. thanks to magnetism or, you know, or less gravity. That's called gravity. But but one is going to be upside down underneath. No one's upside down because it's just not that way. Uh, yeah, uh, you can't explain it either. You do, but it, there's no upside down. We're upside Why? down. Why? Because the Earth is spinning on an axis. You, yeah, that's not an explanation. That's I know, I just I just said that to drive me crazy. Well, it did, but we have to move on now. It's time for this. No, it's not time for that. Time for Dave's song by, which begins. Give me a W. W. Give me a G. G. Give me a B. B. Give me a B. B. Give me a... No, wait, that's basically WGBB Freeport. That's a... Isn't it time for Dave's gone by? Yeah, right now. The guy David Lefkowitz here. He's a Long Island arts guy. He's got his own radio show. There goes the neighborhood. Greetings from Long Island, where every highway is a sunrise. It's time for Dave's Gone By, an hour of comedy, talk, and music brought to you by Total Theater with your host, Dave Lefkowitz. You've never heard anything like it, so sit back, relax, squeal if you must. Here's the host of Dave's Gone By, Dave. Well, there goes the neighborhood. Come all you young fellas that's bound after sperm. Come all you... Just like I play that one time. To start Dave's Gone By, my co-host Jeff Goodman is just looking at me, Stan, saying, wondering what I see and what I hear in that song. A big of Stan Ransom there from his album, My Long Island Home. The song, the song is actually called The Coast of Peru. Any of you who are looking to run out tomorrow to the closed Sam Goodies and, and buy it for yourself, or to, to find his website and get the Coast of Peru just to hear 
Well, that, that marvelous opening line. We'll, we might hear it once or twice more during this hour. Once or twice. But we have so much else to do, probably not much more than that. Because I'm Dave Lefkowitz, radio host, raconteur, critic, and general bon vivant and radio man about town. And I've been doing Dave's Gone By since October 2002 on WGBB Freeport. This is our 276th episode of the show. It's June 8th, 2008, and we're calling this one The Lord of Flatbush. And I'll explain why in a moment, but first I want to say hi to my guest, co-host, Jeff Goodman. Hello, Jeff. Jeff's quiet because he doesn't want me playing that song anymore. But he's smiling because he knows I'm doing this for comic effect. I know. I hate that. But you're only saying if you're quiet. But when I did the Carol Channing thing, no, it wasn't funny. I don't know. The Carol Channing thing never did. It was robbed and just like a lot of other people. Yeah, but Rob is just not as funny as this. No, that's horrible. that's bound after sperm. Okay, anyway. What a way to start the show. Jeff, to make up for this. Dave is just latent. What can I tell you? I'm latent and blatant. I think that, that's the, the thing with me. Blatant, latent. So welcome, everyone, to this edition of Dan's Gone By. And this is a nice welcome back for me, too. Thank welcome you. back, Jeff, from Thailand and Singapore. Yeah. It's funny. We, we were doing um, some stuff on the radio just before this program began in our little big time show. And I was like, okay, Jeff, so how is Thailand? And he talks a little bit about a rainstorm and then spends the whole rest of the time talking about the airport in Singapore. It's amazing. Nothing, nothing about Thailand, nothing about this giant country, but, but like, ooh, the airport in well, Singapore. Well, about Thailand before. I know, I and know. And I love Thailand. I, I, I truly do. You are on the, what was it, the Bridge of Death? Bridge over the River Kwai and the Death Railway. Death Railway. The Railway of Death. that all the POWs had to work on. And mm-hmm. Cool. And I did go to the King's Summer Palace and stuff like that, which Ooh. was gorgeous. Yeah. You know, I did... Was the king there? Or? Well, no, the king is actually in Bangkok now. Oh. He's King Rama the Ninth. But this was the Summer Palace of Rama the Fourth and the Fifth, as we may know them from the king and I, because Chukalukorn, who was the little boy... Chukalukorn! Yeah. He he really was. Rama. I took a look and found the horn, yeah. Yeah, well, took a look and was Rama V, who was who's probably, other than this king, the greatest. He, this king truly is the greatest king ever. And yeah, he, they call him Rama Lama Ding Dong. No, they don't. <laughs> well, I tell you the truth. I do, yeah. Okay. We don't do that because I don't disrespect the king of Thailand. Sorry. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me for dissing the king of Thailand. Let me tell you, you if, if you made that kind of joke in Thailand, you would be drawn and quartered. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't it? Well, they love the king. He's very good. He's a really good guy. Okay. Well, you're not allowed to speak against the king? or no, just not can, nice. but the people will. Uh, as a matter of fact, I saw um, the Indiana Jones movie in, in Bangkok. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with Thai subtitles. Uh-huh. And um, before every movie, at, at, at 10 o'clock and 6 o'clock in public places, and before every public performance, they do, they have the king's theme, which is no, no. Don't even think of it. Don't turn it off right now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> well, he sings it in Thai. <laughs> no, it's it's really it's it's really a very nice song about the king, and they sing it and in wherever you are at ten and six, if you're in a public place, yeah. you just stand and do nothing. The entire like. 
the first time that <laughs> like ha- Mexico. <laughs> well, that that happened to me the first time in the, I was taking a train to Shanghai. Yeah, up in North, and this whole big train station, the King's theme. I didn't even know what it was. The King's theme came on, and everyone just stopped. It was really. It was like that freeze in Grand Central Station. And, and, and the song was Boogie Oogie Oogie. <laughs> no, but anyway, but before all the. Um, before all of the uh, movies, yes, it says, "Please rise in tribute to our, His Majesty the King." Ah, I still, I mean, I understand. That. I, I still think that's as an American, that's a little creepy for me. You know, no, no. I mean, we do it for ball games. It's we we do the pledge. And it's you, no, we do it in ball games when we sing the Star Spangled Banner. But it's not to the president; it's to the country itself, right. it's to ourselves. Yeah, but this is to yay the, us, you know, that kind of thing. Well, this is yay him. Right. They really love him, and he's very good. He's, he's really, really excellent. Cool. Jeff is stretching. Okay, while Jeff is stretching... No, wait, but... So, wait, wait, wait. wait, wait, wait. Jeff, what, get your mic in place, and then I'll... Uh, okay. Yeah. So, as as uh, right before the um, the movie, the Indiana Jones, everyone, uh, most people, you know, now, most people stand up. There were two people behind me, or yeah. actually next to me, They that... Um, did not stand, and someone, a Thai person, took a picture of them right after they didn't stand. He, because everyone was standing, I was like giving them, come on, get up, the, the hand oh. signal, get up. You know, because even yeah. if they didn't know, I mean, it was on the screen, says, please stand. Everyone else is standing. Yeah. You think they'd stand? Well, were they especially brave, or were they were they invalids? I mean, yeah. No. They were too, I hate to say it, too bad people in the last oh, oh, well, there you go. They probably couldn't get out of their chairs. No, but it's not, that's not, I got out of mine. <laughs> but Maybe they realized if they, if, if they tried to get up, they'd fart. And that would no. be more disrespectful. Well, like, oh, oh. <laughs> no, it's not the way that well, works. Well, they're playing the King's theme song. We go together like Ramadamadama. No. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> anyway, but so it's very, very disrespectful. Rule, 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 Kingy. We really love you so much. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Just teasing. Jeff, do our sponsors, will ya? No. Okay, then I'll do our sponsors. I'm um, really mad. You're making fun of the King of Thailand. Why is he to you? He's a great. He's a great. Well, what, what is he? What is so great about the King of Thailand? He is a very, very benevolent, magnanimous leader. He he actually, believe it or not, was living in Connecticut before he was <laughs> Okay. Strangely enough. Yeah. And I hope he was paying American taxes while he was living he here. He was. Okay. But he does wonderful things for the country. You know how most monarchs just sit there and they, they like take money. They don't do much for their people. They, yeah, they exactly. just, but, the figureheads. Yeah. But this king and the queen both, uh, they both have these what are called royal projects, and they do really great things for the people. Like they help the people in the north uh, farm better. They teach them English. They have all these projects where they teach them a skill. So they can make money. It's it's they're very they're always out there working on oh. how to help the people of Thailand. You know, if he dies and the Queen marries our next president, she'd be Rama Obama. Just thought of that. No, it's not true. But <laughs> okay. <sighs> anyway. Anyway, we we've got unfortunately unfortunately we have to leave the climbs of Thailand. 
to, to return to New York and Babylon, Long Island, and Freeport, Long Island, where this radio station technically emerges from, to thank our sponsors on Dave's Gone By, including, oh, here's one, Fancy Schmancy Balloons, the Party Kings. These are the people. Now, I, I do kings. I've mean, got kings on the brain, thanks to Rama. Well, how, what would be your slogan? What would you say? You're the party decorating... We're party planning and de- we're party planners and decorators. Party planners and decorators extraordinaire. Jeff Goodman is the owner and proprietor of Fancy Schmancy Balloons. So what do you do? Quick. Well, you you took my title in the end. I'm a bon vivant and man around town. Okay, but you also do cool things for people's parties, like yeah. Well, we decorate them. Yeah, with balloons and big archways and the center. Do people know what centerpieces are? I didn't know I until so. I met Jeff. I, I assume it was a big bowl of flowers in the middle of a table. Well, it's, it's a piece of artwork. Okay. Or balloon work in the middle of the table. So when you have themes at your parties, at your bar mitzvahs, sure. your brisses, your christenings, your, good Lord, your graduation parties are all coming up, folks. Sweet, Give Jeff... Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Give Jeff a call. 516-797-3229 is his number. Give him a call. 797-3229, area code 5. One no one ever six. calls. No, no one ever calls. Well, prove Jeff wrong. Call this week, and he, your rates are very, very good, and you make a party look so much more special and unique by what you do. Okay. Also, thank you. Uh, hey, I did okay instead of anyway. Anyway. I'm trying to get away from using anyway, folks, because I've, I've grown too reliant on it. Anyway, Hewlett Minuteman <laughs> Press, the copy kings of Broadway, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett, New York, right next to the no longer... The moment she's closed? It's gone. It's gone. While you were in Thailand, not only was it going out of business when they had the signs, but now it's gone. It's but empty. They took the big sign down. It's a big warehousey store. Really? Yep. It's sad. Can we have a moment of silence for moment shoes? Yes. Come all you young fellas that's bound after sperm. Come all you... That was for Loma's shoes. <laughs> okay, we're over it. But please go over to Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway, because all Dave's Gone By listeners get 10% off every job. And they get a free pair of Loma's shoes. <laughs> That's right. If there's anything left over, you can scavenge through the back wall <laughs> and grab them. And want to thank our sponsors, Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, the Bible of Broadway for more than 65 years. If um, if you go and buy Performing Arts Insider at the Drama Bookshop in New York or Theater Circle in New York, you know what you pay for it? Five hundred dollars. Uh, that's what it's worth. That's what we should charge for it. But no, it's fifteen dollars an issue on the newsstands. But if you subscribe as a daily issue, I my listener, it's only a hundred and twenty dollars a year. Just ten dollars an issue. How many issues are there a year? Well, that's for the monthly. There's twelve issues. For the monthly edition, there's more information at performingartsinsider.com <laughs> if you want the 21 issue per year thing. But uh, that's a bit more money, obviously. But for $120 a year, just $10 an issue, you get the best guide to Broadway, off-Broadway, cabaret, opera. Is that guaranteed? Yeah, I'll guarantee. I'll personally guarantee it that it's the best. If you if you don't like it, don't renew. Uh, is there a money back guarantee on that? No, no, absolutely not. But if you stop paying the money for the next season, for, for, for the following year, we'll stop sending you the issue. That's a promise. Can we do it on installments? Um, well, because money's so tight, we have worked out plans where people pay half 
of the first half of the year and half the second half of the year. So how about a monthly installment? No, no. So I just send you ten bucks. Well, if you want one issue, <laughs> but Jeff, Jeff is goofing on it. But you've been a subscriber now for about two years, and what do you think of performing on Insider? I think it's incredible. Hey, it does give you all the information you need to know about Broadway. That's the comings and goings and and the goings and the comings and the and, and all the, the the casting information you'll ever need. The, it's a pretty terrific magazine. Go to performingartsinsider.com and to davesgoneby.com. But you know what I'd like to really know? What? If I really need the money to buy the Performing Arts Insider, yeah. where can I get the mortgage on my house? I don't really know at the moment. Um, you know, I, I, well, wait, we could, I guess, still go to mortgagesrock.com. Then, 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 I thought for a second they weren't... They're like, kind of on hiatus at the moment. Oh. So so we're we're still plugging them, but uh, you know they're, they're kind of taking a little break because of the whole everything that's going on with mortgages. <laughs> mortgages aren't rocking so much. They're not rocking so much. They're they're uh, rockabillying at the moment. They're they're young fellas bound after sperm, but but I think after the summer we'll uh, we'll have them back a little more frequently. Okay, but suppose suppose I'm near the the expired Loman's shoe store. Yeah. And and one little nosh. I. Uh, no, no, no. I guess you'll have to go to, like, Burger King or to... Um, I guess they're not, they're not advertising. No. Boy, I go to Thailand all these advertisers drop and out. thank you for mentioning that, and thank you for bringing that up, you idiot. <laughs> I just love mentioning sponsors who are no longer with us, right? I and, thought they were. Well, no, I, I kind of mentioned that they weren't, and, and... Did you? Yeah. So, anyway. No, if you want to nosh, I guess you just um, feast on your own arm, or go on a, a big clipper ship... And, and find some men. Come, all you young fellas that's bound after sperm. That'll fill you right up. <laughs> That'll fill your tummy right there. How would you know, Dave? <laughs> I'll hide. Anywho, gee, we, we have to move on with the show, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh, have a little uncomfortable time. Let me remind everybody who's, who's on the show tonight. It's Stephen Verona, who is the director and producer of the cult, somewhat classic film, The Lords of Flatbush. And he had a song written about him. Did he really? What was the song? My Verona. My Verona. No, but he worked with so many bands, including the Beatles, back when he was making music videos before there were music videos. He did it on film. So he, he, that's how he basically went from doing that to making the Lords of Flatbush. And since then, he's been a painter and I think a photographer as well. We're going to be talking a about the a poet, a pirate, a king, right? Something like that. Well, what song is that? I've had my ups, my downs. You know that song? No. Oh. So we have such different musical tastes. You like that song. I know. I know. And I like this one. From <laughs> uh, all you young fellas that's bound after sperm. Just, just never gets old. Well, not yet, anyway. Oh, uh, we'll To you. We'll also be saying farewell to Bo Diddley, who will make a very different kind of music from that as well. And Inside Broadway, where hopefully, I doubt it now, but we'll hopefully have the time to review a couple of off-Broadway shows, sure. as well as give you the lowdown on Broadway just before the Tony Awards, which are coming up next Sunday. So it's time to do a little bit of business, and then we will be back with Stephen Verona, director and producer of The Lords of Flatbush, right after this message. Do not adjust your set. There's a rabbi on it. Me. Every Wednesday and Friday morning at 7.30 on Cablevision Channel 115. I'm Rabbi Saul Solomon, spiritual leader of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York. 
but my TV show tells you everything you ever wanted to know about Judaism, but were too staggeringly ignorant to ask. Shalom, damn it, 7.30 Wednesday and Friday mornings on Channel 115 or Channel 67 in Manhattan on Sunday afternoons at 1.30 or anytime at all at YouTube.com. Shalom, damn it, your prostate will thank you. Before there was... Yo, NGN. There was a couple of films, or were a couple of films, for Sylvester Stallone. And one of them, one that made his name, and those of a couple of other actors as well, was called The Lords of Flatbush, a real sleeper film, especially around the neighborhoods where I was born and came from and, and folks in New York, because it told the street story of the locals and what it was like in the 50s and the duck tales and the pre-Fonzie era and all that. Well, that movie just didn't spring from nothing. It came from an idea of a fella who is on the phone with us right now. His name is Stephen Verona, and we're very happy to have him in the neighborhood to talk about the Lords of Flatbush and his life after making that movie. How are you doing, Stephen? Great. No complaints. Well, this is very good. This, uh, By the way, how old are you, by the way? Oh, 67. 67. Are you in good health? Is everything good? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Great. Didn't complain. So now let's roll it back about mm, 30 to 35-odd years now, I guess it is. 35 years, yeah. So the Lord of the Flatbush came about how? Well, I grew up in Flatbush, and I grew up in a what was then termed a motorcycle gang, even though we really didn't have very many motorcycles. <laughs> and um, in those days, you know, you wore either a leather jacket or a fraternity sweater. And uh, it was my decision at that time to wear the black leather and hang out with these guys called the Lords of Flatbush. Well, when I got older and I decided I was originally doing music videos, uh-huh. and I started with the Beatles, and I eventually went to God knows somebody else. You have to speak up a little bit, please. Maybe 150 videos that I did. Oh, my God. This and is before the MTV generation. This was, this was 1966. So, actually, let, let's hold it right there. years before MTV. Let, I mean, you mentioned the Beatles. Got to, yeah. We've got to start there instead. Let, let's let's. You shot the Beatles doing what? No, I didn't shoot the Beatles. I did an animated film. Uh-huh. It was actually stop motion, and I did the drawings. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And John Lennon and I colored some of them in. John didn't color all of them in, but mm-hmm. some of them. I colored in most of them. Uh huh. And uh, one thing led to another, and John said that this is better than the old TV show Mitch Miller and the Bouncing Ball because I was illustrating the lyrics in the song. And if you remember, Mitch Miller had a song called, uh, a show called Sing Along with Mitch. Of course, yes. And they had the, the lyrics would be on the bottom of the screen like a karaoke is today uh-huh. and a bouncing ball. And John thought that my drawings and my stop-motion illustration of the song was far more interesting than the bouncing ball. So he said, you should show this to Mitch Miller. And I facetiously remember saying... I don't think he takes my calls. <laughs> and yeah. John was good enough to call, and it basically changed my life. We went up to Columbia Records, showed Mitch Miller this video that I did, which is now a video. Then in those days, it was a promotion film. Mm-hmm. What, what song, by the way, was it? The song was called I Feel Fine. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, that I sold that book of drawings a number of years ago in, at Christie's in auction. And just now, they, some of them have come back up in auction. Uh, now, the gallery that bought them 
has put some of them up for a lot more money than <laughs> I sold them for, as usual. Okay, well, yeah. So anyway, the way this all turned into Lords of Flatbush was that one day I opened my refrigerator, and instead of having peanut butter and jelly, I had short ends of 16-millimeter film and decided i got to do something with this. So I decided to make my first feature. Hmm. And you just don't sit down and write a feature. You have to do something you know. That's what everybody tells you. That first one has to be write what you know, what you experienced, and what you feel. Yeah. Exactly. And I had been single for many years, and I used to regale girls with my uh, misspent youth in a black leather jacket. <laughs> and a lot of those stories, you know, if they went over well, became went into the movie. If they laid an egg when I was trying to impress somebody... They didn't make the script, you know. That's fair. So that's how it all came about. And then it was the arduous task for three years of finding the money, finding the money, and uh, which is a terrible thing to have to do. Oh, yeah. Honestly, how much was the capitalization on it? I mean, films were cheaper back then. Honest, still, yeah. Honestly, the film cost $161,000. From soup to nuts, including editing? That was everything. Wow. And... Um, Let's see, it was $161,000, Sylvester Stallone, Henry Winkler, Larry right. King, and even Richard Gere were paid $241.50 <laughs> a week. Oh, okay. A week. And the funny thing is that Richard is not in the movie, was paid more than Perry King or Henry Winkler. Because he was on set more, but he just got cut out? It wasn't even on the set. It was in rehearsals. And Richard and Sly were the original leads. Oh. And we would constantly be rehearsing, and I would tape them, and then we'd rewrite them and change it and do this and do that while I was looking for the rest of the cast and especially the money. And it got to a point where um, Sly and Richard did not get along very well, oh. and Richard had to be replaced, and that's when Perry King came in, and that's just when I had gotten the money to start production. And you were the producer and the director of the film. And writer, yes. And the writer, my goodness. And also put up most of the original money that I got from when I did the videos for CBS and Clive Davis, was then president of uh, Columbia Records. Yeah. So the money I made on those films, I put into Lords of Flatbush. Now, and you had done all these short videos, these promotional things, these music videos, was doing a feature, anything like that, or was it beyond, I mean, did you come home every night and say, oh my God, I'm going to shoot myself? I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with big bullets. I mean, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, it was a nightmare. Um, and did you think a hundred times, I'm never going to finish this? Oh, I thought for sure I was going to end up homeless. Oh, wow. You know, because I was putting all the money I had in it, and I kept saying, if this film fails, where do I go? What do I do? Mind you, in 1974, when I was shooting the, when I shot the film, I shot the film in 72, uh -huh. and uh, a little bit in 73, but it didn't come out until May of 74. And you know, you have to survive during that period of time, and you wonder if what happens if the film doesn't make it? Where do you go? What yeah. do you do? And nobody's interested in a failed film director. Right, because what you read about when you read interviews in the papers with directors, they always say, oh, on that first film, I maxed out all my credit cards. And then they finished the film, and then some studio picked it up and distributed it, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Now, but you have to wonder about all those people who maxed out their credit cards, and 
didn't finish the film or had a, a real disaster, and then what did they, you know, declare bankruptcy and are working at Burger King or something? Yeah, well, they're saying, would you like fries with that? Yeah. <laughs> but you finished the film. You, you absolutely I did. I finished it, and we sold it to Columbia Pictures, and it became, a, you know, number one at the box office. Immediately. Oh, wow. And uh, Henry came out here. Henry Winkler came out here and became Fonzie. Because of that, that helped us to sell more uh, television showings, etc. Then Sly, of course, became Rocky, and the rest was history. Here I had the biggest star in movies and the biggest star in television. In my little 16... My film was shot in 16 millimeter, mind you. Not 25, like most movies. And then blown up and released. And uh, Nobody really knew that the original was in 16. You couldn't tell. Plus the grittiness of the movie. Right, it worked for the visual. It all worked fine. So I was very lucky in that in that respect. And so, um, do any of the actors get any residuals at all? Or yes, they, of course. Oh, they do. So they work for that salary. Yeah, for it was all done through Screen Actors Guild. Oh, cool. Okay. And uh, the two forty two hundred forty one dollars and fifty cents a week uh-huh. was half of the minimum, and then the, the third was double that. Ooh. So they would shoot for five weeks. So you can add it up very quickly. They only got about thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars for, for five weeks of shooting, but they would be owed the complete, let's say, twenty six hundred dollars later on, which eventually they were all paid handsomely. Okay, well, good. They handsomely, according to the you know the times. Now, did you do any films after? Yes, they were. Yes, I did a film called Pipe Dreams that starred Gladys Knight. It was the only film on the Alaskan pipeline. Oh, okay. And my favorite film was a film called Boardwalk, which I shot in Brooklyn also, like Lords, and that starred Ruth Gordon, Lee Strasberg, oh. and Janet Leigh. Are those uh, available on DVD? No. Um, Boardwalk is not. What happened was the film was made independent, which is the way I made all my films, and mm-hmm. sold them when they were finished. When Boardwalk cost a lot more money, so most of the money was put in by my friend and, and investors man from England and we decided to go with a small distributor because we felt my film needed tender loving care and it was not something you put into 4,000 theaters and try and make it all back over the weekend it was a strong story about an elderly couple and so we went with a small distributor and unfortunately that distributor went bankrupt and our film never saw cable never saw DVD or VHS and it's still wallowing around now I just got the rights back ah. years ago. Um, it was inherited. You know, the libraries were passed from distributor to distributor to distributor. It got to Universal, and I knew the president of Universal, and I was able to acquire my film back. I immediately called up the other studios, Paramount, etc., and they weren't interested because the actors are dead. And <sighs> I was flabbergasted because... I mean, these are the people, you know, Lee Strasberg. He was in The Godfather for us. No, I mean, yeah. he was in Godfather. He thought Marlon Brando, Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino. I mean, you name it. He was, you know, the head of the actor's studio. So not to have, um, what's the word I'm looking for, just to, uh, to honor these great people. It's so short-sighted, it really... Yeah. It's strictly business now, and that's the sad part. The art of it has been sort of drained away. Speaking of art, one of the things that you're, you're occupying your time now with instead of film is, is going back to, well, pre-film photography. Yes. 
So that, are you, is that your main thing now? Is, is yes. I'm doing a lot of photography. The Getty Museum has recently acquired my work. Oh, wow. Um, last week I had a show with the book signing of the making of the Lords of Flatbush with pictures, photographs that I took back in 1972 of Richard Gere and Sylvester Stallone, Henry Winkler, etc., uh, Sylvester Stallone was wonderful. He came to the opening. Oh. He came at exactly 6 o'clock. It was a 6 to 8 show. He stayed for well over an hour. He signed yes. some autographs. He signed my book as well, as along with me. Um, he ended up buying 80% of the photographs hanging on the wall. Wow. So he was a, a true friend and, and a gentleman, and uh, I was... Totally That's nice. Flattered. That is fair. Do you have other nice stories about some of the artists that you've worked with, even in your music video days? Music video days? Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the people, the, the names. Oh, that Johnny are, Cash. Barbara Streisand, Liza Minnelli, Leonard Bernstein, Johnny Cash, yeah. Yes, I worked with all of them. Um, Simon and Garfunkel, um, Santana. So, so let's hear some... Some stuff about them, so either nice or not so nice. Stuff. Oh, they were all great. Okay, I never, I never really had problems. Great. Yeah. Um, the easiest thing is for people if they want to go to my website, you know, which is stephenverona.com. I mean, it doesn't get much easier than that, and it goes into a bunch of things on there and shows you some of my photography, some of my uh, paintings, some of my videos. And that's Stephen Verona, Stephen with a P-H-E-H-E-N. Right, Verona, like, like in Romeo and Juliet. Right. StephenVerona.com. And can people get your book there, too? Uh, they can get my book on Amazon.com. On, on Amazon also. I don't know if I have the link up yet from my, my website to, to the book. So what would you say? Amazon.com and just put in the making of the Lords of Flatbush. And what's interesting about the making of the Lords of Flatbush is there are lots of books when you go to the bookstore on movies, but very few of them will chronicle a movie for 35 years from the time I thought of the film, more than 35 years, from the time I thought of it to the eventual writing of the script to finding the money to making the film to the success and then the eventual auditing the studio, chasing them for your money, fighting them and then, the, you know, settlements and lawsuits and screaming. Oh, boy. You know, it's a never-ending battle when it comes to the studio. But when you look back on it, I guess because it gave you a, a career, it was all was it all worth it? Oh, absolutely. Okay, just checking. You know, <laughs> you make it sound you know most people think it's a cakewalk. Most people think, well, I want to make a movie, you know. Oh, my God, it's so exciting. Well, I don't know if you've been on a movie set, but it's pretty boring. It's, you know, there's a lot of time involved waiting for the cameraman to light the set, you know, and you're sitting around, and the director is, you know, is busy because he's working, you know, with the actors and rehearsing and making sure the costumes are right, and et cetera. But someone who walks on a set and just stands there and looks, they just, they get bored pretty quickly. Would you ever, I mean, you're only 67, would you ever make another movie? Oh, absolutely. Oh, wow. Do you have yeah. any uh, thoughts on what you would, or do you have a well, plan? The, the thing that I've realized is Lords of Flappish is, is a character study of four guys in motorcycle jackets. Boardwalk was it was a character study about an elderly couple who lived in a, in a neighborhood that was once a neighborhood you moved up to. Mm -hmm. And now, 50 years later, it's not safe anymore. It's just a microcosm of a lot of neighborhoods in America. And it's a story of, the, of love and survival in that neighborhood when you're old. And Lee, uh, Lee Strasberg and Ruth Gordon, you couldn't get 
two better actors for that role, for right. those roles. And it was really a powerful, dramatic movie. That is not the kind of film that you see today in the multiplex. You know, um, it's all teenage comedy or murders and suicides or uh, gang warfare or science fiction or stuff like that. My films are character-driven. Right. So, yes, I would love to make more films. And I think the world is ready now to come back away from those tentpole movies, you know, with special effects and get into good stories and good performances. Well, I hope that you're right for everybody's sake, including yours, Stephen Verona. I want to thank you so much for being with us in the neighborhood, you who are the original Lord of Flatbush. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay, uh, Stephen, yes. before I let you go, can you just do me a quick favor and do a... Okay, so your business proposal has been typed, proofread, photoshopped, and given a nice cover. Now, all you need is 20 spiral-bound copies, plus a thousand printings of your latest brochure. Your Xerox can't do it. Your mailroom can't do it. Hewlett Minuteman Press can do it all. Your one-stop printing shop, Minuteman, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett. Open six days a week, 10% off for Dave's Gone By listeners. Family-owned Minuteman, their service can't be duplicated. On June 14th, the night before the Tonys, catch the fourth annual WGBB Tony Awards Special, hosted by Dave Lefkowitz, that's me, of Dave's Gone By, co-hosted by theater critic Jeff Goodman and Michael Regal of the New York Post. We'll hear other critics make predictions, show tunes from Xanadu, Young Frankenstein, and more. Quizzes, ticket giveaways, all on Saturday, June 14th, 7.30 to 10 p.m., the Tony Special on WGBB, the station that serves your theatrical community. Inside Broadway, brought to you by Total Theater's Performing Arts Insider, your everything theater guide. Yes, Inside Broadway, brought to you by Performing Arts Insider, with me, Dave Lefkowitz, host of Dave's Gone By, and my co-host, Jeff Goodman. What is that? That's a music man, remember? Oh, pick a little something else. Talk a little? Pick a little, talk a little. Pick a little, talk a little. Well, we've not much time for picking, but we do have some talking to do about Broadway and Off-Broadway as well in this week before the Tonys on next Sunday night. Well, guess what show has announced a closing? I'm picking a winner. Picking a winner. What what show has announced a closing this week? Although it's going to be a open. A closing? Yeah. A, a being the hint. <laughs> a chorus line. The revival of A Chorus Line is going to end its run August 17th at the uh, Gerald Schoenfeld Theater after 759 regular performances. This is a little under two years. So an okay which is, run. Which is just uh, what the revival of Les Mis did. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. And did, well, was that before after Les Mis came back for a bit? No, the, the revival of Les Mis. Yeah, no, no, I'm saying, but the revival of Les Mis... Oh, I see what you mean. After Limits closed and opened half a year again later, right, right. It, it ran about that. Well, this time uh, it's going away. So, um, Mario Lopez couldn't save it. Mario Lopez has been playing Zach, the director. I'm sure everybody I'm listening to this, even if you're not real theater files, know a chorus line, either from the movie or from seeing it. So, you know that. What we did for love. Yeah. It's about. 
these people who are going to be or try to be Broadway dancers in a show, and they're all auditioning, and they're off to tell about their lives and who they are in song and dance. And then Zach is the director who's sort of the, the voice of God. He's the one who's asking them all the questions and the one who's going to say yes or no as to whether they're hired. So in order to beef up the box office, they've gotten um, Mario Lopez, the guy from Saved by the Bell and a dancing show, to do Zach. And basically all the, the news has been about the fact that he's rolled up his shirt sleeves because he has muscular arms and he's a good-looking guy with a good physique. And that's apparently he's not supposed to have rolled up shirt sleeves because another actor in the cast is more known for his shirt sleeves or something like that. <laughs> but that's been the, the scuggle bug about it. Yeah. But anyway, it's a good show. I think he's taken his shirt sleeve off. <laughs> he didn't even roll him up. I think he just tore I think if Mario Lopez took his shirt off, then it would probably run until next year sometime. Like enough women. Well, I'm sure they'll always take the naked boy singing. Yeah, right. Oh, even, you know, I found out naked boy singing is only running like once a week by yeah. the skin of its teeth. It's not just, yeah. you know. It, it does, they do a, was bachelorette parties, believe it or not. Okay, that kind of makes sense. I think better for bachelors to watching gay men naked things. <laughs> Reminds them of their lives, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, if you haven't seen this version of A Chorus Line, it's not all that different from the first version no, of A Chorus Line. But it, it has a whole different feel to it. How do you mean? I, I told you when I, when I reviewed it, um, it just felt this was a revival, and it was more of a period piece than a real personal piece, which the first... Hmm. The first time you saw Chorus Line, it was very personal. Here, you feel that these people are playing characters rather than telling their story. Good point. Very, yeah, you know what? I felt that, too. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Thank you. So, also, speaking of getting a little bit personal, some, some kind of sad news from the theater world and the improv world. Oh. This week, uh, we lost Paul Sills, who died June 2nd. I don't know how old he was. He was born back in 1927, which I think makes him 81, uh, at, or would make him 81. He was the co-founder not only of Chicago's Second City, which we probably know more about yeah. back in 1959, but the Compass Players of Chicago, which is it's weird that nobody remembers them because that's the place that was the launch pad for people like Mike Nichols, Elaine May, Shelley Berman, and Barbara Harris, who, by the way, was the second of Paul Sills' three wives. So anyway, um, oops, there's that word again. So Mr. Sills... Uh, did Compass Players, then he co-founded, was the founding director of Chicago's Second City, and then after those years at Second City with Alan Arkin, Avery Schreiber, Paul Sand, Severn Darden, he founded something called Story Theater, which never right. became quite as, as popular, but that was, um, how do you describe that? It was, it was mythic, not well, well, tell tales. Right? Yeah. It was, it was, they just tell these wild tales, and that's it. Right? That's, I don't, I don't, I kind of remember story theater, but I don't remember really seeing it too much. Right, neither did I. I think it was just before, like, the time when I would have gone to see it. Mm -hmm. And I think they were going to do some Broadway show ten years ago about Rumi, who was this poet, Jalaluddin Rumi, of, of some Eastern Sufi kind of poet. And he was working on that, and it was going to be bound mm -hmm. for Broadway. It never happened. But uh, definitely, I mean, you can see the seeds of what he and the other people who founded these places, what they grew into in everything from Saturday Night Live to Whose Line Music Anyway, of course, to the Chicago City limits that we've, we've got in New York or, or Second City TV. Right. So it's a, a big farewell to Paul Sinnels, who, by the way, was the son 
of viola Sprolem, considered the grand dame of improv theater. So farewell to well, him. Well, yeah, because he basically based it on her right. the works of his mother. So he, he, I don't know if his son is following in his footsteps. I'm not sure what else needs to be done in improv and cabaret and, and that kind of theater, but who knows. Anyway, Tony News, ladies and gentlemen. The Tony Awards, since this is Broadway, are happening Woo-hoo! June 15th. Woohoo! Next week. Yeah, 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. on CBS TV. Woo-hoo! One more woo. There we go. That's a good woo right there. Whoopi Goldberg is going to host, and she's promised to do more of a loose, funkier kind of gig. Uh, presenters that they already know who are going to be do- there and doing it are Gabriel Byrne, Harry Connick Jr., David Hyde Pierce, Lily Tomlin, John Waters, Kristen Chenoweth, Mary Louise Parker, Marissa Tomei, Glenn Close, Laura Linney, Liza Minnelli. That's just to name a few. So kind of a star study. Brothers. Who? What? The Allman Brothers? The one of the Baldwin Brothers. Uh, what's his name? Well, I'm Alec assuming Baldwin. Alec. Yeah, okay. That would make sense. Who else? Do you know anybody else that I left out of the uh, the list? Wake up, Jeff. Come on. Um, Who won last year's Best Actor and Actress? They have to be given. Oh, that's right. There will always be the... Uh, it's funny. As important as these awards tend to be, the day after, like, uh, who won? Well, the guy from the, the, the teacher, the Richard from England... He was the teacher at the Oh, Richard school. Griffiths. Well, right. if they fly him back, I'm sure he'll probably uh, do it. He wants to give baskets. Now, an actress last year? Yeah. Who was that? What were, what were the shows? Was it a revival? Was it um, a new play? Was it from the Coast of Utopia, one of those people? Mar- uh, Martha Plimpton. She won the Tony last year. Yeah. Oh, wow, for best of... Well, there you go. Well, she'll definitely... She'll be... Uh, she's a nominee this year, isn't she, for um, Top Girls? Yes, so, she is. So I don't know if they'll make her presenter since she's a nominee, but... No, they present for the opposite sex. Oh, there you That's go. Right. Very nice. And by the way, you'll be happy to know that even though they're not new musicals, featured and highlighted on this year's Tony Awards will be two shows that have been around for quite a while. I know. Which are they? Grease. No, no, no. Well, no, Grease is a Tony-nominated revival musical. But I'm talking about there are two shows that they're going to um, honor and highlight. One of them is The Lion King, because it's the 10th anniversary. and Rent. And Rent, because Rent is going away, because Rent is going to be closing at the end of the summer. So they're going to um, break with tradition, where normally they only show clips of the Tony-nominated new musicals. Here they're going to give those two shows a slot. So I hope that will bring in some, some viewership as well, because, as we know, the ratings for the last bunch of Tony Awards have just been, you know, in the toity. Was, was Grease best re- nominated for Best Revival? Yeah. Oh. Well, what happened was there are four, cate- four um, slots in the category. Right. So you had Sunday in the Park with George, mm-hmm. South Pacific, right. Gypsy, yeah. and they're all equally wonderful. They're all terrific. <laughs> and then they had this open slot, and instead of leaving it open, they were like, well, there's Greece. <laughs> they really should not. It's They're not really, really the one we wanted, but... <laughs> it taints the category. It just does. But, you know, it's like the, I thought, oh, my, I didn't think it was nominated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that may be the only nomination I got. Thank goodness. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not a big Greece fan here. <laughs> but you know what I am a fan of? Uh, guess. 
the W. Aside from that, the WGBB Tony Award Special. Yay! The Spooktacular! June 14th, this coming Saturday, the night before the Tony Awards on this very station, AM 1240 WGBB and AM 1240WGBB.com, live streaming on your internet dial. It's the fourth annual WGBB Tony Awards Special. I'll be hosting. Jeff Goodman will be co hosting with Michael Riedel, the columnist of the New York Post. Won't he be surprised? <laughs> well, well, no, Michael and I have known each other for a bunch of bunch of years. He's had me on theater talk a couple of times. and um, He hasn't gotten a load of this yet. <laughs> <laughs> he is, in some ways, the most feared man on Broadway. He really is. Really? He wields a certain kind of power, and he tells mm-hmm. it like it is. Maybe he can, can he get me fired? Um, from this show? Only you can do that, Jeff. (laughs) And you know what's cool? We're going to be talking to Daniel Breaker. He's a Tony nominee. He's the lead in Passing Strange. Other than Stu, he plays younger Stu. He plays young Stu. (laughs) Which is, I guess, the Stu before it's cooked. He's he's Dinsey Moore. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be interviewing a bunch of critics, including Eric Brody of uh, the New York Sun, Linda Weiner of Newsday, Simon Saltzman, who is the president of the Outer critic circle and a bunch more people like that asking them to make predictions and say what they would like to win and who they're voting for for the Tonys and we'll be playing cool music from all the shows including Xanadu and Young Frankenstein and um, Passing Strange and Kegged Affair like you know so you'll hear all the new theater music and if that were not enough we want you to listen we're going to be giving away Amazing, excellent prizes, including amazing, excellent prizes to theater tickets to the Broad Hollow Theater opening night of The Boyfriend, of uh, nice. doing the big musical. Also, going to have tickets to the Irish Repertory Theater and a terrific play that they're doing right now called Prisoner of the Crown, and a special Young Frankenstein package. It's not tickets, Ooh. but it is, and you'll, you'll get the CD and the cool, colorful booklet that you, you have to buy in the theaters. All that. Just call in, be there for the Just call in to win. Tony special Saturday, this Saturday, 7.30 to 10 p.m. No better way to spend two hours on the Saturday. Two and a half. Two, two and, and a half. half big, big booming hours of theater. How we couldn't get that extra half hour? What other show? Uh, labor lines. Don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to bother negotiating with the unions because, you know what, trouble Broadway runs into them when they do that. <laughs> Why did they just settle with the actors? You know, that was easy. Yeah. Anyway, we'll, we have a couple of theater reviews to do for you on Inside Broadway, so we will be right back after this. I just come got all you young fellas that's bound after sperm. Come on. Wait, no, 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 not that. I meant this. Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, the Bible of Broadway for more than six decades, telling you everything you need to know about Broadway, off-Broadway, cabaret, opera, and dance. It's all there in the pages of Performing Arts Insider. And you, as Dave's Gone By listeners, can get 10% off annual subscriptions. Just go to PerformingArtsInsider.com to find out more about the business. And don't bother me with Molière. Don't bother me, that little Deborah Monk there for uh, for our Inside Broadway intro music to our reviews. Got a couple of things to do, so we're going to get through them fairly quickly. First of all, do you yeah. have a reason to be pretty? 
reason, I have several reasons to be pretty, and they're all by Neil LeBute, the famous Mormon playwright, whom you never know as a Mormon because he writes so nastily very often about people. Sometimes he writes beautifully. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that phrase. That's very nice, actually. And, and interestingly enough, even though Reasons to be Pretty begins in a very harsh and annoying way with two a couple screaming and cursing at each other for about 10 minutes, just almost shrieking, where it's almost to the point of like, oh, God, it turns out to be one of his nicest plays. Really? Yeah, I mean, it is about this couple. She has overheard, she hasn't even overheard him, but a friend of his friend tells her that he said something about her at work. And he's been dating her for four years. And she overhears him say to someone that, well, she's, you know, she's okay looking, but she's just got kind of a normal face. And he never says this to her, and, and she never overhears him say it, but it is kind of the, true that he said it, and she is calling him on it, and she is now so angry with him, not so much for saying it, but for the fact that he's felt this way about her for four years, and what does that really mean about their relationship? Isn't she that pretty? Well, it's, she's played by Alison Pill. An attractive but not conventionally beautiful actress. Okay. She cleans up okay, but she's, she's a <laughs> but she's not a bugger face either. She, she's okay looking. She's right for the role. She's a little too pretty for the role actually. But you know this well, is the yeah. Well, she, well, yeah. She, in, in later scenes, she cleans up and she's quite lovely. But the point is, their relationship goes immediately on the rocks from this little tiny incident that is caused by the girl that his friend is actually not dating but married to and then we see that couple and he's been cheating on her and she's just you know she ends up having an argument with him and then with a friend for it's this usual thing of couples that are getting in each other's way and sort of sabotaging each other and sometimes trying to help each other but only causing more sabotage and yet in, in other ways towards the end of the play it has a kind of a mellow and, and a, a happier vibe, where at least the lead character, who's this, this kind of nebbishy dude, who really doesn't deserve all the bad stuff that happens to him in the play. Um, bad stuff happens to him? Well, the, the weird part of it is, and the, the place that I think Reasons to be Pretty is lacking, is that he supposedly becomes a better person through all this experience, learns more about women. But... They don't, that really doesn't happen. He's kind of the same guy at the beginning. At the end, he wasn't a bad guy in the beginning, and he's like a perfect guy at the end. So I think there, there's this little thing where the play wants to be about him getting to be a better person, but it really isn't about that because he doesn't so much make that journey. Things happen to him rather well, maybe than maybe what is perceived as being a better person. Well, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, he does take matters into his own hands and, and does something that seems mean. I mean, that, that's the, the good thing that LeBute does. He has characters make decisions to do things that on the surface we go like, oh, no, how, why would he, how, how dare he do that? And then in the back of our minds, wait a minute. He's telling someone something that they should know that is actually for their betterment, but it's going to hurt them in the short run. Right. And then he does this in a lot of his plays, and this is the conclusion of his trilogy that started with um, the... Um, 
oh, the shape of things, continue with Fat Pig, which I did not see. And this is reasons to be pretty. I do recommend it. It, it goes by the like, good dialogue. Excellent. I, heard, I wish I'd seen Fat Pig. Uh, and I think they're going to do a reading of it sometime in June. They're going to bring back the original stars and do a one-night reading of Fat Pig, and I want to be there to see it. The cast of Reasons to be Pretty includes Alison Pill, uh, Thomas Sadowski, Pablo Schreiber, whom you might remember giving a really, really good performance. I think he was Tony nominated for that revival of Awake and Sing about two years ago. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And Piper Perabo, the movie actress. Oh. Yeah, good-looking good looking girl, although she's, she's, she's supposed to be gorgeous in this one, and they kind of make her dikey-looking, which is a little odd considering the character and what they're trying to say about her. Um, and and what, what's... My other quibble, I guess, with the show is that sometimes they over-explain things, and the final monologue is like, okay, we know, we get it, you don't have to say it. If, you, if it's in the play, you don't I have to tell us what do you that. He does that. He does that a bit too much in this play. But his plays move, and I would recommend moving out of your chair, folks, and going to see Reasons to be Pretty. So there's a reason to see Reasons to be Pretty. Yes. I also want to re- recommend Prisoners of the Crown. I mentioned it last week very quickly, and I'm not just recommending it because we have free tickets to give away on the Tony show. I specifically sought out this play for free tickets because it's so good. It's at the Irish Rep on West 22nd Street through July 6th. It's all about this. It's a true story of this hero, this British hero, who did these these wonderful things and was honored by the crown, but he was caught coming back from Germany during World War I. Why? Because he wants freedom for the Irish and, and to have a separate Irish state or an Irish nation. And so caught him coming right off the submarine after meeting with the Germans during World War I. Why? Because it didn't have anything to do with the war, but he wanted the Germans to back him for Irish independence. Oh. So what are they going to do? They're going to get him for treason. But what he did was not technically legally treason by their statutes because he was on foreign soil while he was consorting with the enemy. So it's not treason if it's not on British soil. So these guys who are prosecuting him have to think of a way to get him because they don't want to make him a martyr so much that it will be good for the cause, and they don't want to let him go either. What can they do? So they find a horrible, nasty, kind of incredibly unethical way to poison the well for him and his reputation. So it was the best thing for them. They ruined him, and they got to behead him. Wow. Now, I'm not giving away the whole story because you know that from the very beginning. But in the telling of it, it's really well done. It sounds like a few good men, you know, trying to Better. take apart. Really? Yeah. It's a good, really? good play. Well directed by Karan O'Reilly. I don't have the author. And, and a terrific performance, lead performance by Philip Goodwin as Roger Casement, the guy that this is all happening to. When political theater is done right, it is absolutely gripping. I mean, we've seen it and stuff happens. Hopefully we'll see it again in A Man for All Seasons. That's coming to Broadway this season. So everybody definitely does. Well, as soon as the, the curtain came down and, and, well, there's no curtain at Irish Rep, and the audience was clapping, I heard the person behind me say, oh, oh this should be on Broadway. She was right. I mean, they, they should do a little more, less doubling of roles, because it's a small theater with yeah. not that huge a budget. And a couple of surreal scenes could be finessed a little bit. But it's, it's, it's Broadway-quality work, and I would love to see Prisoner of the Crown on Broadway. Go see it, everybody. And look, they have a chance to see it for free if they listen to our, our Tony Awards special. Next. next Saturday night, June 14th. Now, you and I saw a play this week. I uh, don't really want to spend a whole heck of a lot of time on it. I was, I was 
pretty darn disappointed in the uh, well the was, play more than the production. Just bleh. Tell. Well, it was something called the A.R. Gurney's The Cocktail Hour. Mm -hmm. And it was a revival of a show that was done about 20, 30 years ago. It was never, not a great show back then, not a great show now. But it was done by the company. And what was the company's name, David? It used to be called Theater by the Blind. Now it's called Theater Breaking Down Barriers. Because it's for people who are not only blind, but have different handicaps and, and hearing impaired, stuff like and that. it's pretty impressive, because the lead character is most definitely blind. The lead actor. The character, the, 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 the plays themselves are not about handicaps. They're, right. they're doing regular plays, but sometimes half the actors are blind. In this particular case, just the lead guy was blind, and he was pretty darn good. Well, we don't know th about the other characters. They just didn't seem to be blind. Yeah, they didn't seem impaired in any way, whereas him, you could tell. One of the things that, especially in the first part of the play, you're very conscious of it and who's doing the play. Yeah. <laughs> and you see him move to the bar, because you know, that's what they do on the cocktail hour. They yeah. make drinks. Well, he's drinks pouring drinks. And he's, but it, it, yeah, because you could tell because he's conscious of counting the number of... Right, you're watching his hand hover over the bottles to land on one. So that, I mean, I found that interesting to yeah. a point. And also, he had some sort of a... Really, a small cane or something, a stick. Oh, I didn't like, see that. I don't know what that was. He seemed like he did, but they, they didn't have it. No. And then he also, he would walk with his feet one in front of the other just to make sure he got to the chair. It was like, and it's a small set. And the problem is it's a four-character, really non-moving. It's, it's really about a play about a father and a son. The son writes a play. Which is the cocktail hour. Right. Uh, assumedly. It's sort of self-referential in a weird kind of uh, way. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's really self-serving and a little redundant, just in, 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 in yeah, incestuous it, it, it was boring. It was, it was, um, some of that, I think, might have been the play. It, it was okay. The actors were decent, and it was well yeah, no, staged. Was but nice. It was a beautiful theater. The Kirk Theater was lovely on 42nd yeah. Street. It's I mean, part of that whole complex of the Theater Row complex yeah. that they redid. But it just, I, I sat there, and I was like, you know, you were falling asleep, I was nudging you, I was falling asleep, you were nudging me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't snore in the middle of the thing. It was awful, I mean... No, it was like, it, oh, it, it was dull. It, no, it was awful because that has to be done like that. When when yeah. I fought, start, fart snoring asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I start falling asleep, I, I hate that. Because you're just going, oh, it, it just means something is so slow. And it's a very slow-moving play, and basically yeah. exactly what you think is going to happen happens. It just, it just, uh, I, I no was hoping it would, yeah. Oh, well, so I cannot, I unfortunately, recommend the cocktail hour. But I certainly, you know, reasons to, to be pretty with a thumbs up. Prison of the Crown with a big, um, a raised patriotic English-Irish fist. Fist up! <laughs> I knew you were going to. No, I'm not. I was going to, but it didn't play. So, so instead, I'll play a Thank couple of commercials. And before we go bye bye, I do want to say bye bye to Bo Diddley. And we're going to do that right after we get out of Inside Bye Broadway. bye, Bo. Bye bye. Hey, this is Daniel Breaker from Passing Strange, and you're listening to Dave's Gone By on GBB Freeport. We've just been Inside Broadway. Thanks to TotalTheater.com and Performing Arts Insider. Oh, honey, make sweet love to me. Huh? 
Can't you put down that stupid book? In a minute, dear. You said that 20 minutes ago. What's so special about marriage, babies, and the end of the world? Well, it's a collection of plays by radio host Dave Lefkowitz. Why do you want to read a bunch of plays? Because they're hilarious. How'd you even buy that book? Online at davesgoneby.org. 20 bucks. And they've got trade paperbacks for 12 You would rather read Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World than ride me like a hot stallion? Well, maybe we can compromise. Wow, I love this book. Oh, and you too, hon. sound of that shuffle beat of Bo Diddley, who died this week. He was born December 30th, 1928. His actual name, everybody thought his name was uh, McDaniel, but that was a taken name because he was raised by his cousin. His real birth name was Ellis Otha Bates, born in Macomb, Mississippi, way back then. And his nickname for Bo Diddley came either, if you listen to Wikipedia, from black slang for nothing at all, like, uh, well, a derivation of Diddley squat, or there's this stringed bow-like tool that blacks were using when they worked in the fields. Um, so the bow, and I guess the bow Maybe Diddley. Maybe Diddley, Diddley squat with the bow. Something like that. So he's known for the bow Diddley beat. Sometimes his... his Songs wouldn't even have a chord change. It was all about the chunk, the chunk, the chunk, chunk. He'll play it. I just did. You were, you were, you were letting the gospel folks in, who will be on in just a couple of minutes, folks. So Bo Diddley was on Bills with the Stones. He opened for the Clash one time. He even played with the Grateful Dead. And well, his last two years, he was a born again Christian, and he was even playing a faith-based album. And he, as I said, he died on Monday of heart failure. He had suffered a stroke the year before. And yes, he's only known for one or two songs, like Who Do You Love, and of course the, the theme song, the Bo Diddley song. But he also Who do you love is the one I know. But I would suggest that you, you check out some of his other work, but he, he has this minor place, not on the same level as B.B. King or Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf, but you wouldn't have a George Thorogood, you wouldn't have a Lonnie Donegan, or maybe even to some extent the Stones or the Beatles without the populari- popularization of the Bo Diddley beat. So uh, I want to say bye-bye to Bo. <laughs>
30 seconds is a long time. You can say a lot in half a minute about your business, your product to sell, your message. Say it on Dave's Gone By. Easy, inexpensive, effective. For details and the rate card, davesgoneby.org or email davesgoneby at aol.com. Imagine how much you can say to my listeners by advertising on Dave's Gone By. Just like this, 28, 29, 30. Okay, hi, this is Stephen Verona. I'm the writer, producer, and co-director of the Motion Picture of the Lords of Flatbush and the author of the new book, The Making of the Lords of Flatbush. I want to thank everyone at Dave's Gone By at WGBB. Thank you very much, and I had a great time. Well, we had a great time talking to you, Stephen Verona. Thank you so much for being in the neighborhood here on Dave's Gone By. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. I'm here with Jeff Goodman. Just want to say thank you to our sponsors on uh, WGBB Freeport. First of all, Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. 10% off for all Dave's Gone By listeners at Hewlett Minuteman Press. And don't forget the next uh, defunct show store. That's right, the, the former Loman Shoe Store. And uh, to Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, the Bible of Broadway, go to performingartsinsider.com for more information. And also to our wonderful sponsor, Fancy Schmancy Balloons. What's the phone number on that again? That would be 516-797-3229. 797-3229, area code 516 for Fancy And we're giving 10% off for all summer parties. Oh, that's very nice. Oh, there you go. Another reason to call Fancy Schmancy. Want to remind people about a couple of things. First of all, Shalom, damn it, Rabbi Saul Solomon's Peace, Love, and Acid Reflux Hour. The best half hour on cable access. I believe it. And you can watch it twice a week. Wednesday and Friday mornings at 7.30 on Channel 115. Wednesdays and Fridays, 7.30 a.m. on Channel 115. And if you're listening to us in the city... If you if you have Manhattan Neighborhood Network, Channel 67, Sundays, 1.30 in the afternoon. It was preempted today because they had a live special. But starting next week, it's back on MNN.org. Do you know how many people called in because it was preempted and they were pissed off? Well, actually, I got a really wonderful fan letter from uh, a director. I was, I was like, thank you. And <laughs> I was so thrilled. It was neat. People were watching it. Oh, yeah, it's good. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be the director and producer of uh, Shalom Dammit, even though the rabbi can be kind of difficult sometimes, but I know how to, to wangle him and wrangle him, as it were. <laughs> anyway, you can, again, on Manhattan Neighborhood Network, it's Channel 67, Sundays at 1.30. Oh, and you can see episodes of uh, Shalom Dammit anytime on YouTube.com. Just look under Shalom Dammit. And Dave, mm-hmm. anything special going on this Saturday? This Saturday night, it's the WGBB Tony Award Special with me and Jeff and Michael Regal and a bunch of critics and Tony nominee Daniel Breaker. It's on from 7.30 till 10, New York time on AM 1240, WGBB. Also, I want to remind people that Richard Skipper will be playing Carol Chang in Hello, Dolly. The actual production of Hello, Dolly was... What does Carol have to say about well, can, can you imitate Richard Skipper imitating Carol Channing saying he was robbed? Why, yeah. <laughs> Do it. Yes, I can. I was like, like a whole other people. I was robbed. Well done. <laughs> Very nicely done. It's going to be at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, New Jersey, on, well, the same Saturday as the Tony special. So listen to us instead. But <laughs> if you can't, well, what time is it? It's probably at night. Well, that's the problem. If it's at night, if it's a matinee, go see it. But if it's night, just keep your radio tuned here.